0: It's good to be with you all tonight. Um, When I was in college, um, I was an idiot. Um, Logan knows he was there. Um, Chad was there. Uh, And I, uh, yeah, so when Kevin asked me to speak uh, to you guys tonight to preach, my first thought was that was college students. I don't know, that was over a decade ago when I was there, I was a moron um, and an awful, generally just awful person, so uh, <laughs> what do I know that they need to, uh, to hear? Um, this has zero to do with anything uh, whatsoever, doesn't serve as an illustration uh, for anything, um, but the, the, the only funny thing I probably did during, during school, um, this is Scott Heath's favorite story ever, um, I rode a bike naked through a group of prospective students. Um, as you know, that's how stupid I was. Um, and, uh, yeah, and a friend of mine, like, I had the momentum going. It was going to be funny. A friend of mine, friend, uh, knew that it was happening. And so he, he pushed me over halfway through. Uh, so like lost all the momentum and just looked like a moron. Um, uh, even more so than I already would. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, when I was in school, um, I was in a fraternity and, uh, Logan and Chad were in a different one. Um, we were really cool back then. Um, and I started thinking of, like, when I read this passage and started thinking about it, for some reason I kept thinking back to then. And, um, I don't want this to be some, like, diatribe on fraternities and sororities or anybody that's in one, uh, or, or not in one and against them to really take much from this. It has nothing to do with that, uh, really. But I just started thinking about me and myself in that time. Um, and 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 the reason why like behind me being such an idiot and a jerk and all those kind of things and I was in this fraternity I um, mean there was really good good guys in it um I I generally wasn't one not because I was like a, a partier or crazy or whatever I was just like a, a butthole uh to anyone and to everyone and uh um and so but you you start to form this like identity right and you're always looking like I as I was thinking about that and like why um I kind of started thinking about that time in my life, and I was looking for an identity, looking for a group of friends, looking for all those things, and and, and found this, this group and this fraternity. And so, you know, when you get into that uh, a group um, of people, a lot of times our natural bent is to then label everyone outside of that group as something. Um, they're not a part of us, right? Um and that's not really the case just with fraternities or sororities we look at, like all through like our lives it's what we do right is we we long to be in right like we long to be um in 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 the crowd in the tribe um in the in the whatever in a social social uh group um that is right and that is good and that is the best um and and and, and so what we end up doing is we label people outside of it as something different Right? And so, whether it's in school, like growing up in, like, elementary school, um, middle school, high school, I mean, you know, that's a brutal, brutal time, uh, for, for lots of people. And, and you're, you're looking for your group of friends, and they're the right group. Um, they, they, you, your group of friends, you, you dress the right way, you listen to the right music, you do the right thing, and everyone else is some different group outside of you. And we, we do that, right? We see that, like, if you look, um, if you pay attention to like politics, um, it's, it's annoying, right? Like this season that we're in, um, we do that there too, right? Like we're in this group that believes right. And so everyone else on the outside is wrong, right? And, that, and so if you're a Republican, the Democrats are evil and awful. And you, you view life and, and what you see in that lens. And if you're, if you're a, a Democrat, you look at the Republicans that way. And we tend to do that. We identify and we create standards amongst ourselves that, that allow us to be on the inside, on the right track, and everyone else is outside. And so then you get people, and we can label people, and those labels stick, and we use those labels to build ourselves up, and so there's Democrats and there's Republicans and there's blacks and there's whites and there's illegals. Um, we call like, you know, like regardless of your political stance, like we, we call people like people that matter. We label them as like they're illegals. And that's what we know them as. And that's what we function in knowing them as are identified by their race. They're identified uh, six by their sexual orientation like they're they're the homosexuals they're the illegals they're the blacks they're the whites they're the mexicans they're the illegals they're the whatever and, and we do that and then we can create this structure where whatever we are is right whatever we are is good whatever we are is is best we don't do things like they do we don't act like they do. Our country isn't going to hell in a handbasket because of us. It's because of them, right? And we do that all through our lives from the times we're little to the times we get to get into, into college and out in the real world. And they take shifts um, along the way. Um, but, but we do it. We do it from the time we're little uh, to the time uh, that we grow old. And we want to be in and we, we will create anything, any standard we can come up with to make sure we're in. And that even occurs in our spiritual lives, right? We want to be on the inside, on, in, on the right side of things. We want to make sure we're doing things the right way. And so then what that inevitably does in us is create a sense of pride, right? That we've got a corner on the market and that we are good and that we are right, and that everyone else doesn't do it the way um, that we do it. And what I want, because the passage that we're looking at tonight, um, thanks Kevin, uh, is is the tail end of a very depressing stretch of Romans, right? And, um, and conveniently, it's cut off tonight uh, before it gets any ounce of hope whatsoever. So, y'all go home, uh, back to your dorm room or your apartment or wherever tonight, and you can turn on some really depressing music and just sit alone um, because this is, this is dark and it's depressing um, and Kevin set it up that way because he gets to ride in on the white horse next week and, uh, and be the bearer of good news. Um, so y'all never see me again probably and, uh, and won't care uh, that this message is so bleak and so dark but it is and so what I want you and we're going to talk about hope tonight but what I want us to walk away with tonight is knowing that we're not on the inside. If you could go away, walk away with anything, is that we are not on the inside. We all, regardless of who we are and regardless of how we act, regardless of any scenario you can come up with to make you feel better about yourself and I can come up to make me feel better about myself, regardless of that, we are not on the inside. We are hopelessly on the outside apart from Jesus. And if we can grasp that tonight, like if we can really come to grips with that, and I know you've talked about that in the last couple of weeks, but if we can really come to grips with that and really grasp that deep down in our souls, then the good news of next week will be that much better and it will be that much glorious and it will stir our affections for Jesus that much more. But the reality is, is I'm just going to take a guess in this room that it's probably a pretty good group of people. You're not out there um, just being like raging maniacs, psychopaths, doing like awful, like awful, awful, heinous things. And so, if you're anything like me, um, I I, I was I was a a a pretty pretty decent kid growing up. I, I, was, I was all right. I went to church. My folks were great. Um, it, everything was good, you know? And when I talk about college, uh, I didn't really do anything really that awful except for be like a really raging jerk. But I did, I, my behavior in terms of like doing anything like wild or heinous really wasn't that bad. And so I could always convince myself that I was pretty good. And so what was, what's hard, what was hard for me is the, to come to grips with how bad off I was because it never really seemed that bad, right? Like it never really seemed like it was that awful. And so when we talk about this dramatic shift of, 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 of what God has saved us from, it's almost like a little hard for me to get my head around um, at times because, you know, I'm like, well, I mean, if I was like some, you know, awful person doing awful things, I would grasp this but i 'm decent i 'm all right, and so it was so hard for me to grasp, but as we look at this, I want us to just come to grips with the fact that we aren 't on the inside, we don 't have an inside track, we have no inherent advantage, um, and that we are all all in a very desperate state and so when we think back to like when we get in a in a position in life where we are puffing ourselves up, be it about what school we go to, um, what fraternity or sorority you're in, what political stance we take, like what we believe in, like whatever it is, just how smart you are, however, whatever it is you take pride in in your life and you start to puff up. When someone comes and attacks that and starts to tear it down, the initial reaction for all of us is to get defensive and to start to start throwing up. Walls, to start throwing up rebuttals, um, to start asking questions. Um, when someone's, when someone's racism, let's say, is exposed for what it is, they start throwing out, um, just ridiculous things, right? Like they start throwing out, well, what about this? What about them doing this? What about this group of people doing these things? And we'll start throwing it out because our identity is being attacked. What we've built our hope on is coming under attack, and our natural inclination is to throw up walls. And so as we start reading um, in this chapter and start digging in that, last week's um, passage ended uh, talking about circumcision, which the Jews took great pride in, really not being a physical issue, um, but being one of the heart. And so this is going to raise some inherent questions um, that Paul's going to uh, address. And so he's got, uh, in, in the passage, he writes in questions that he knows he would be asked or someone might be asking him um, as responses to these um, to these claims that he's making. So he's telling the Jews who have built their their identity on the fact that they're in, that really they aren't in, and the things that they've built a lot of their identity and their hope on aren't really reasons for hope. And so that's when we get to the questions that start out in chapter 3. So circumcision in 29, but a Jew is one inwardly. We're going to do just the very end of chapter 2. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So then the questions begin to come. Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of, of circumcision? So then what, then what good is it to be a part of God's chosen people? What good is it? What advantage is there? And Paul answers, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And so he's saying, to begin with, there is, an, there is an advantage. There is something good about being a Jew. You are entrusted with the promises of God. You were given the promises that you are a chosen people and that God is going to ultimately bring salvation to Israel. Now, some of the questions that we're going to deal with right here, he's going to unpack later um, in, in chapters like 9 through 11. So he gives some very quick answers here. But he says there is an advantage because you've been given those promises. In Deuteronomy it says, um, you know, what nation is there that was entrusted with the law, that was given the law and given the promises um, of God? There's no other nation. And he's saying, so you have that advantage. You have that, um, that you were given the, the oracles of God, the promises of God. And so they ask, well, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? So if he made these promises to Israel and he says, I'm I'm going to save Israel. But then we've seen that Israel, the Jews in chapter 2, we've seen they're going a different way. They've been disobedient. um, They've been unfaithful. So then what do we make of these promises? If he made the promise... What, what are we going to make of it then? Does that mean that God is somehow unfaithful because the people that he chose have been disobedient? And he's, and, um, he says, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And that verse there is quoted from Psalm 51. And I'm going to turn there real quick. And it's when David... Um, is confessing his sin uh, with Bathsheba. And he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And he's quoting that passage to say, What David is saying in this passage is, I've sinned against you and you only. And so whatever you choose to do, if you judge me, you're being faithful and you're being righteous. And if you have mercy on me, it's because of your character, not because of anything in me. And so he's saying here, Paul's quoting this passage to say, God's not made unfaithful because of our unfaithfulness. The Jews' unfaithfulness to the promises does not take away from the fact that what God is going to do, they might not be a part of it. Some of the individuals might not be a part of it and they're not going to be a part of it. But that doesn't change God and his faithfulness to his promise and to his word. And so it says, and in verse five, another question comes, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That is that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us I speak in a human way, by no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. And so he's saying, going back to what he quoted with David, if God's justice, just, justice, and righteousness is shown through judging sinners, if his glory is, be, is to be made great by his judgment on sin, then should we just, is it okay for us to sin more so that God's glory would be shown? And you almost, you almost see Paul You kind of like, why doesn't he deal with that a little bit more? And it's almost like, that's just absurd. That's just ridiculous. But what it exposes, what that question, that line of questioning exposes is what's in our hearts. Because if we ask that question, if that question comes to mind and it's where our hearts go, Paul is basically saying is, you don't really care. You don't really care about what God is doing. You don't really care about God's promises. And you don't really care about God's faithfulness. All you're looking for is some some question, some way to undermine who God is and what he's doing. But you can't do it. His righteousness will be upheld. His faithfulness will be upheld no matter what we do. And so then, we get to verse 9. More questions. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. And so you think, it almost sounds like a little bit opposite, right? Like he asked in the beginning of three, like what advantage is there? And then he says, are we any better off? And so in in the beginning of the passage, he asked, like is there is there an advantage to being a Jew? Like is there anything good about being a Jew? And Paul says, yes. You've been entrusted with the promises of God. You've received it. You've you've seen God at work in your fathers and their fathers. You've been able to be witnesses of what God has done and experience his faithfulness and his promises. What he's getting at here when we start in verse 9 is, so then because of that advantage, essentially he's asking, because of that advantage, does the Jew excel in any way? Does he excel towards salvation? Does that give him a, an upper hand towards salvation? And Paul answers, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And so here is kind of the, the ribbon that he's going to tie on the first couple of chapters. In chapter 1, if you remember, we talked, or y'all talked about the Gentiles and that they are sinful and that you saw this progression that happened from their sin to God giving them up and then progressing in their um, in their sinfulness. In chapter 2, he basically he talks to the Jew. Because in, in chapter 1, you've probably got a lot of Jews sitting there going, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, give it to them. All right, show them how awful they are. That's good stuff, I'm liking it, I'm liking it. And then he comes to 2 and and swings a little hook on them to let them know, no, um, you too um, have, have got your own set of problems. And in chapter 3, He's going to tie the bow together to say Gentiles and Jews alike are in the same boat. And so he quotes from a series of different passages um, here. And he says, "Um, No, not at all. For we already charge that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so the question we have to ask ourselves in reading that is, do we really believe that about ourselves? Do we really believe that, that all of us are in the same boat? Do we really believe that the people that are that much different than me, that believe that much different than me, that are um, that are in my tribe of people that I claim, that are outside my tribe of people that I claim, that believe totally different from me, that believe maybe a little bit different than me, do we really believe that we're all in the same boat, because the easiest thing that i think christians um get comfortable saying and it almost becomes this just kind of innocuous like repetitive saying is yeah we're all sinners right like we're all we're all sinners but the que- that's easy to say it's an easy thing to get repetitive about and i think the question we have to ask is do we really believe it do you believe down deep That you are a sinner. Do you really down deep believe that you deserve hell? Do you really believe down deep in your soul that you do not deserve God's goodness and grace? Do you really believe, do you really believe that when you read that, like when you read these passages that no one is righteous, that no one understands, that no one seeks God, do you believe that about yourself? When I read that we've all turned aside and that we've become worthless, that no one does good, not even one, when I read that my throat is an open grave and that I use my tongue and my words to deceive myself, that that, that it's like that my my mouth is full of poison in the way that it, it talks, the way it convinces itself of all these things. Do I believe that about myself? Do I believe that I'm, I'm full of curses and bitterness? That my feet are swift to shed blood? That in our path is ruin and misery? And that alone and by ourselves we don't know peace? And that we do not fear God? Do we really believe that about ourselves? Or do we tend to believe that about this another group of people? Do we believe it about maybe a different, I don't know, a different denomination? Do we believe it uh, just about a a, a group of people that, that act a little bit different than us, that believe a little bit different than us? Or do we believe it about ourselves? All the labels that we use to identify people, they're this and they're that. Do we really believe that we're on the same level as them? Do we believe that we're just as hopeless as them? And if we don't come to that place where we can if I don't come to that place, then how am I ever going to value what God has done for me? How How is the good news going to be good news if I just think I need a little bit of a tune-up if I just need a little bit of, of like I just need a little extra of God and I'll be all right. The good news then ceases to be good news. It becomes something just kind of, eh, here's some advice. Here's some things you might want to look into. Here's some things that might be good to think about. Instead of, it is the good news that comes to us and that is the answer to this problem. In 19, he picks up, Now that we, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And what we see is in this passage and this like, in this darkness and in, in the bleakness of this passage, we see coming right there this little, like, uh, this, this nugget of, of God's goodness and of God's grace. And then when he says, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Literally the worst thing in the world God could allow me to do is is to go on convinced that I'm all right. Because if I can go on convinced that I'm all right, I'm going to take a slow and very, very slow and very comfortable road um, straight to hell and straight to eternity apart from him. Maybe he lets me go on thinking, you're okay and you're fine. But what we see here is the law and what God had given to the Jews and what God had done with the law, as, as negative as it seems and as, uh, as bleak as it may seem, it's a sign of God's grace. And then he's saying the law essentially serves, and we'll talk about this later in Rome, but it serves as a mirror that points to our badness, that points to our hopelessness and exposes it. And essentially it says it shuts us up and it shuts me up from thinking I'm all right. The pride that I have to say um, that I'm okay, that I do enough good works, that I'm a good person, the law essentially shines a mirror on me and says, Mark, shut up. Look at this, and and what are you thinking? And so when we think about whether we're on the inside or the outside, this passage is saying in in what matters most, regardless of who you are, you're on the outside. Because it talks about God, that, that we're the ones that are unfaithful, yet God's the one that is faithful. That we're the ones that are unrighteous, Yet God is the one that is righteous. And he can dole out judgment or extend mercy how he pleases. And so we think about um, this last passage. I mean, this, this last section of verses, it leads us to a point where we have to ask ourselves a question, right? Like, is this it? Is this the end? It forces us to ask, and... Is there a reason for hope? Um, I've been pretty uh, like enamored lately uh, by an author, um, write some books and articles. His name's Tana Hesse Coates, um, and he writes a lot about uh, racism and, in America and, and incarceration and all this different stuff. It doesn't matter uh, really for right now. But um, a big criticism of his work is that it's hopeless. It's bleak. Um, he writes about our racism in America. He writes about our prison systems. He writes about different things like that. And and the main response is that there's no hope that it's bleak. He, He wrote a book, um, recently that just got published. Uh, and it's a, it's a letter to his, to his son about growing up, uh, in America. It's pretty dark. It's pretty bleak. Um, and, and he's very aware of the fact that it's dark and that it's bleak. And the dude's an atheist. Um, and so, like, my question is to the people criticizing his writing and wanting him to infuse more hope in it is what is the reason for hope? What does he have for hope? If he sees these issues and these problems at hand, like... Does he, do you want the guy to just make something up? Like, do you want him to just like, do you want him to fake it? Do you want him to just come up with a reason, some random reason why things might get better? Um, and and just come up with a, a lie or something to make you feel better. Um, but you see, like people want an answer, right? Like people want resolution. I mean, it's built into us um, that when we, when we, we read something bleak, when we watch something bleak, like we want some sort of resolution, Um And so we get left here in this with like, what, what is it? Because we have this innate sense in us, right? That like something's off and something needs to be fixed. And so if, if we're this broken, like if we, if we're in, in this boat that Paul's describing here, is there a solution? And what he's getting at is you're unright, you're, you're unfaithful, but God is faithful and you're unrighteous, but God is righteous. And in the end, he says, by no, by, there, there's no way by being good enough that you're ever going to be justified. You're never going to be made righteous. But the answer to that is that there is one who is a justifier. If, if we're unfaithful, we're unfaithful, but God's faithful and we're unrighteous, but God is righteous. We can't justify ourselves, but there is one who can. And Kevin will get into to, to how that works in us. But we have to know that there is hope, that there is a faithful God, that there is a righteous God, and that there is a justifier out there that can fix our problem. But for that problem to be fixed, we have to come to a place where we know there is a problem that needs fixing. And so my encouragement for you guys uh, t- tonight is uh, is not to do what I said and to go home um, and, and put on the, the bleakest music you can find and just sit and wallow in your misery. Um, but it's to think about that and meditate, that on, meditate on that as you think towards next week, as you prepare to come and worship for next week. To have a sense of the weight of the fact that we are unrighteous, that we do not do good, that no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much of a decent student, a decent person that you think you are, <clears throat> no matter how smart you are, how much people like you, all that does not matter in the grand scheme of what of, 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 of this subject, of whether or not you are in. We are not in, we are out. And we're desperate for one to bring us in let 's pray father God, thank you um, for the chance to, to to dig into your word. Um, thank you um, for exposing who we are thank you for instilling in us a sense that there 's something something off and something wrong that needs to be made right um, and I pray uh, for all of us um, that 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 you would drive us to the hope that we can have in you, um, that you are our only solution. You're the only one that can make this problem right um, and that, that we would not um, be puffed up in our goodness, but we would not be left hopeless in thinking um, that there's no way out of our plight, um, but that you would drive us um, towards our deep need for you. So, your name we pray, amen.